guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we completed chapter 32 that dealt with the judgment that God brought upon Israel or the discipline, but the judgments that Israel experienced because of the golden calf incident. And remember, there were two uh, forms of judgment. There was the preliminary judgment, the initial judgment that we see upon the persistent idolaters to the which 3,000 were killed by the Levites. 3,000 men were killed by the Levites. This was the early on judgment. And then there was the following judgment that God brought upon the people. And it was an unstated judgment. And the number of people who died in that judgment was also unstated, but it was an unstated judgment that followed upon an uh, ungiven number of people sometimes later on after the incident of the golden calf. All right. So now let's get into chapter 33. Chapter 33 is for the most part, a pretty short chapter. Only one particular instance uh, that we may need to spend some time on, but we, we won't because even in that you can make a whole nother video about it. But without getting into all of that chapter 33, short chapter, let's make it short and sweet. The idea is, you can imagine God is still kind of simmering a little bit over his anger in the judgment calf, in, in the uh, golden calf incident, and God is telling Moses to lead the people on towards the promised land, start up the journey again, but God himself is not going to go with him. That's how it begins, but we'll find out that God will later on change his mind. Okay. So let's continue with the journey. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Okay, so now God has commanded Moses to continue the journey to the promised land. But what God said, we can see a distancing that God is giving. So what God says, he unlike what has been going on previously, will not personally go up before the people. God himself will not lead the people in this particular journey. And God is going to send a messenger to represent himself, to lead the people to the promised land. So we see here a distancing that God has with the people. And this is seen when it says the people whom you, this is what God says to Moses, the people to whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. And we understand Moses did not bring them of his own power, 
choosing will bring the people up out of the land of Egypt. It was God. But in this particular language that God is using, we can see God is distancing himself from the people because of their sins. And with respect to this, because as we do read these things, we don't want to simply understand what God is saying to the people of Israel of what happened in the time past. We also want to understand how this relates to us even now. And this is what we mean by the practical understanding of the teachings. So I say this, what can we understand about this? These are the people of God. We are the people of God. The people of God sinned and therefore they incurred God's judgment or we can even. So let me just continue. And we ourselves can sin against God. That is the saints of God, those who are truly saved. And we too can incur the discipline of God. I talked about all of this in the previous video when I discussed how Paul spoke in uh, that section, that whole entire section, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, especially chapter 10, as Paul spoke, what did he say? The things that happened to Israel, even such things that we're talking about now, happened for examples. They were teaching lessons for us, how God will discipline his people. And so this is what I'm trying to say. So we too can be disciplined from God and what happens with that relationship, the relationship between the believer and God, or should I even say God and the believer can be frustrated. Such relationship can never be broken. And when I say broken, I'm talking about the loss of salvation. That's a whole nother uh, principle that I'm not going to deal with, but it's the principle of eternal security. You see Jesus himself talking about that. John six, what is it? Verses 36 through 39, something to that effect. When he says that all that the father gives to me, I lose none. So we never lose our salvation. However, there is a distancing that we can have between us and God. And this is a frustration of that relationship. This is considered to be a loss of fellowship. And this is what John talks about in 1 John 1 and 9, when he talks about unconfessed sin. And then he deals with the issue of confessing those sins. For if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not a confession to be saved. This is a confession of sin in the life of a believer. Why? Because it frustrates the fellowship that a believer has with God. This is that same or similar distancing that God has with us when we sin and sin is unconfessed. Therefore, this is what John was saying. We need to confess those sins. And again, speaking of James, remember when James talks about not frustrating the Holy Spirit who has sealed us unto the day of redemption. We frustrate the Holy Spirit. How? by sinning, but so we don't, we should never grieve the spirit of God. Anyway, enough said about that. I went way too far. 
So this is what's going on here. They sinned against God. God is now distancing himself, but then there's something else. A wonderful thing that we see about God in verse number one, as he tells Moses to lead the people on to the land of promise. Notice the, the, uh, the, 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 the verbiage that God uses the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. God is faithful. He never breaks his promises, no matter what. Now, if he is not, this is an unconditional promise that God gave to the forefathers, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And regardless to the circumstances, God is always faithful to his promise. And notice I say it again, it's, it's a what? Unconditional promise. There are conditional uh, promises that God makes, and then there are unconditional promises. The promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was an unconditional promise. Unconditional me means God did not say to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you do this, then I will do that. God did not say that. God just simply t told them he would give them and their seed the land of promise. So notice the beautiful thing that we see here concerning the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is their, stat their status with God? It's not a good thing. They have already committed idolatry, but consider this over against God. God is keeping his word. That's why we see uh, uh, in the New Testament, you'll see such writings as God is faithful. One thing you can always do and know, God will always keep his word. But then since I brought you into this particular conversation, and I promise not to make it long, but let me go ahead and say it. The Mosaic Covenant is uh, uh, an example of a conditional promise. That is, if you abide by these rules and abide by this standard of life, then I will bless you, okay? So that is, a con that is an example of a conditional covenant. But the point, point here is the faithfulness of God. And as he continues on in verse number two, he talks about sending an angel. Again, this is the indication of what? God distancing himself from the people because what? Before God had gone in his own personal presence with the people, but because of their sins, he says, I'm going to send an angel to you. And then he talks about these uh, six uh, nations of the Canaanites and the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites. These are the nations that are already existing in the land of promise that God has promised he will drive out from before the people. And he's, but the point, the, the, the generic point that God is making is he's distanced himself from the people. He's going to send a messenger instead of his own personal presence. The end of this section, because what if he himself should be in their midst because they are such a difficult, disobedient, Notice the term is obstinate or uh, stiff neck because they are such an obstinate people. God is subject to destroy them in an instant. So he, he, he's, he lays it in a sense of mercy. 
Notice what I just said. He puts it forward to them in a sense of mercy. What? I'm being merciful by not being in your midst. Why? Because if I, a holy God, should be in your midst, I'm subject to destroy you at any time. Why? You are so difficult. You're hard-headed. You're sinful and rebellious. And me, by not being in your midst, I am sparing you. I'm doing a good thing for you. So God says to, to Moses to tell the people, Ain't no time for joy. Ain't no time for feeling good. Take the ornaments. That's why the whole issue of ornaments, the joy and, and, and celebratory uh, expressions. Take them off until I should decide to what to do for you. But I'm not going to be in your midst. And so this, so he tells the people to go into mourning because of their sins. And the people obeyed Moses in stripping this off. All right, let's go. Been a little longer than I anticipated, as always. But seven. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Okay, and here it's, it's basically furthering that idea of the sense the sense of God's distancing from his people. Okay, so what, what's going on? We talk about this tent of meeting. Now, this does not seem to be the tabernacle structure. Remember, and we're not going to go into but if you've been following me, remember how the tabernacle is structured with that whole tabernacle structure uh, 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 with the outside curtains, and then you get into the outer place, and then the holy place, which is called the tent of meeting, all right? This does not appear to be the tabernacle. But this appears to be another place that Moses had uh, constructed that he would go to meet with the Lord. And that's the idea. All right. And all of this uh, of the narrative we see that we that uh, uh, it's like a holy narrative in a sense. Uh, Moses going out to speak to the Lord and he would go to the tent of meeting. And as Moses going to the tent of meeting, all of the people are aware that Moses is going to speak with God and the people, you can see them. So the very text of scripture is like bringing you into the situation where as Moses is going out to the tent, the people all standing in front of their door, watching Moses going into the tent of meeting. And when he enters into the the tent of meeting, all of a sudden the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory comes down in front of the door of the tent of meeting as Moses is inside speaking with God face to face. 
speaking to God face to face. And all of a sudden, all of the people began to worship because they understand that it is a holy time. So that's the appearance that is being given. But what you also need to see is notice what it says in verse number seven. There's this emphasis, the tent that is pitched outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. Again, notice what we, what we, the Bible is showing the, that fellowship between the people and God, God being in their midst. This was the mindset of God in the beginning. This was what God wanted to be in the midst of his people. But what? The problem is sin, and therefore sin has caused God to be apart from his people, or should I even say distance from his people. And again, that practical point that I was bringing for you and for me, the practical point is sin disturbs the fellowship of God and his people, of God and believer, of God and you. Therefore, what did John say? Again, I'm being repetitious, but acknowledge your sins, confess your sins so that restoration of fellowship can take place. But anyway, so that the tent can be in your midst. But this is what we see once again, the tent of God far removed from the people to speak of God's distancing of himself from the people. Okay. Then we also see, even though the people themselves are distanced from God, Moses is near to God and notice how God communicates with Moses to speak of Moses's close relationship with God face to face. Now, this does not mean that Moses saw the, let me use this word, pure face of God, okay? The uncovered face of God, the full glory of God, because that's what the, actually the rest of this chapter is all about. It simply speaks of intimacy. In some way or another, God manifested his presence to Moses in a way that Moses could see, but the overall idea of the, of the context is, it speaks of closeness and intimacy. And what we're getting here is a contrast between Moses and the people. The people, because of their sins, far away from God. Moses, because of his faithfulness, is near unto God. All right. And then finally it closes this section with as Moses departed from the tent of meeting that in some sense or another, Joshua remained in the tent of meeting. Now this is the second time that the scriptures mention Joshua in this beautiful and favorable light. The first time we saw Joshua was when, when Moses came down from the mountain and remember all of that hoopla, the sinfulness in the golden calf incident. Joshua was not a part of that, but he was waiting on Moses. Joshua was faithful. And now here's another time that even as Moses leaves the tent of meeting and speaking with God, notice who remains there. So the faithfulness and the loyalty and even a closeness, a desire in heart 
that Joshua had for God can clearly be seen. Again, we should all desire to be like Joshua, even like Moses. All right, let's bring it on down. Verse number 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. So now, okay, fine. Let's talk about it. So we have this section. Basically, it's nothing more than Moses' intercession on behalf of the people. Why? Because God has said, Moses is aware of God's displeasure. He's continuing displeasure with the people, and God has refused to go with the people by his own presence. Remember, I will send a messenger. So Moses is now interceding, asking God for himself. You yourself, I want you to go with us like you did in the first. So he starts in the text again, verse number 12. He said, you're saying to me to lead the people, but you haven't told me about this particular message. In other words, Moses was not satisfied with God sending some I don't want to say it in any negative way, but it's an unknown messenger. I don't know who this messenger is or whom you will send before us, Lord, but it's not the messenger that I want. It is you and your presence that you want. He, and then Moses began to appeal uh, to God. He's praying to God. He's interceding on behalf of the people because of God's relationship with him. And it's kind of like say. Well, Lord, you say you know me. You say that you love me and that you know me by name. If you do know me and if you do love me like you say, this is happening, <laughs> then, Lord, do this, please. Do this for me. So Moses is interceding on behalf of the relationship that he has with the people. And remember, as we just left the preceding uh, uh section that it talked about how Moses would speak to God, what face to face, that intimacy in the relationship. That is, if I have found favor in your sight, that's how I keep saying it, right? So what does it say? To remember, remember how God said earlier, the people you brought out from the land of Egypt. So Moses is simply saying, remember Lord, that these are your people as well. And he gets so he intercedes on behalf of the people. Remember that what these are your people and that I am praying to you, Lord, for my sake. Do this for me. 
and that you also go up with them. These two things that Moses is asking and God changes his mind for Moses sake. Okay. Uh, and then he simply says in verse number 16, that God's presence would be the indicator that Moses has found uh, favor in God's sight and that what? The people of Israel are to be a distinguished people. They are to be a unique people amongst all the peoples of the world because God himself, and that is amazing. And I'm not going to waste any time on that, but boy, my mind always messes up with that. The creator of the universe is going before this little ragtime people, ragtime people. He himself is going, this distinguishes the nation above all the peoples of the world by the presence of God himself. Okay. And the Lord says to Moses that he will do that. Great mercy, great condensation. And we're going to talk, uh, 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 we're going to talk about that too, the whole issue of mercy. All right. Anyway, let's go. Then Moses said, verse number 18, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Praise the Lord. Okay, but anyway, I ain't gonna get excited. Let's just teach so what Moses, it, 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 it almost like Moses desires a seal in some sense, a seal, not that Moses is doubting the word of God, but some sort of a seal by desiring a greater, uh, a revelation of God's glory. And that is to say, remember we said that earlier in the scripture said Moses, God would speak to Moses face to face. This was some sort of a manifestation that God would have with Moses, but it speaks of his intimacy as well. But Moses knew that there was more to God than he was seeing. He understood that God was veiling. God was covering his glory as he would speak to Moses. So in a sense of a seal of this promise of God, in a sense of having a great, a desire for greater intimacy with God, Moses makes an unusual request. He desires, he asks God to show him his full glory. And so this is what is going on here. He wants to see his full glory. Now, verse 19, here's where we have to spend a little time. We can't spend a lot of time, but we got to spend a little time in verse number 19. And so God says to Moses that in his leading of the people, he will make his goodness 
passed before Moses, even passed before all of the people, but namely passed before Moses and he will proclaim the name of the Lord. I like the way this reads. He will proclaim the name of the Lord. What do you mean proclaim the name of the Lord? Does not Moses know that his name is Yahweh? This is how we pronounce it. yod hey wow hey Does not Moses know that this is the name of God? He mostly, not so much as speak of his name, but in the name of God, he speaks of a particular characteristic of the nature of God. In the name of God, he is proclaiming a particular nature, something about the character of God, okay? And so what, and what is that nature or character of God that God wants to proclaim to Moses when he passes by? And notice what he says. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, this is so important when we understand the context of this whole situation. What is the situation? Remember the golden calf incident. The incident has to do with sin as well as we see also what? the forgiveness of God to those whom sin. What happened? They sinned with the golden calf incident. They were disciplined by God. We see a distancing in that relationship with Israel and God outside of the camp. No longer going with you. That is the tent of meeting. No longer going up with you, lest I kill all of you in a moment in time. We see that then Moses does what? He intercedes on behalf of the people. Please, Lord, would you do this for me? God yields. He, he, does, he does what Moses, he answers his prayer in the affirmative. He does with Moses. But then Moses wants to see what? Glory, greater intimacy, the fullness of God's glory. God says to Moses, you can't, but verse number 19 have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, show compassion. So how do we understand this attribute that God is speaking about? This glorification in a particular part of God's nature. What is it saying? I will show compassion and mercy. It speaks of forgiveness. This is a statement, and, and I don't want to, in my mind, oh, let me tell you how I really want to say it to you. This is literally what it is. This is a statement of God's sovereign elective, sovereign elective mercy. Okay. Oh, man, I didn't want to get into it. Okay. We'll find this same statement used in Romans chapter 9 by Paul when he is speaking of salvation election, that is God saves whom he wills. God saves whom he wills. And Paul takes the quotation from Moses here in Moses, God's word to Moses. What? I will have mercy on whom I choose. I will have compassion upon whom? 
whom I choose. I have compassion and mercy on the one I choose to do so. This is what it means by sovereignty. It is not whom man desires, whom man wills, or what man tries to do. It is what God himself has determined to do whom God has determined to show mercy, whom God has determined to show compassion. He does this on the ones he wishes to, which also lets us know, and those he do not wish, he does not. So this is a principle of sovereign election. All right, but anyway, enough said about that. So the point is, in all of this, God lets Moses know what, how this thing works. And, God, and the beautiful thing about intercession, God permits, God allows intercession. But in the end, in the end of all things, it is according to the sovereign will of God. It is of God. It is God whom chooses. It is God who wills. And it is God who has mercy. And this is the thing that he said. But we see what all of this, let's bring all of this under the canopy of the context. God is showing mercy to Israel. And the picture is, it is a mercy that is undeserved. It is a mercy. It is a compassion undeserved. His presence is undeserved. His forgiveness is what? Undeserved. And you should already be able to attain what, where I'm going with this from the practical sense. When we look at ourselves, what? The mercy of God undeserved. When God saved you and me, undeserved mercy. When God saved, called you and me, what did Jesus say? Again, we can see this type of principle. John 6, all whom the Father has given unto me will come. Those who are saved are gifts from God. Are we saved because we've been good? No. What did Paul say again? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And again, what did Paul say in the book of Ephesians? For by grace... Not, not, not because of works, not because of what we did, not because of how we live. For by grace we are saved. Our salvation is a gift from God. We are sinners. And yet God chose from the foundation of the earth, from the beginning of time itself, to write our names in the Lamb's book of life. So what am I trying to say here? God shows his sovereign elective characteristic. He chooses whom he desires to come to have mercy on and to have compassion on. And this is undeserved. That's the point. But anyway, let's go back. So Moses was designed to see the full glory of God. God said to Moses, this is not a thing possible to do because no man can see the full glory of God and live. To that I say, amen, praise the Lord. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a great God. But he promised Moses, I'm gonna pass you by 
There's a place in the cliff that I'm going to hide you. I'll take my hand. And somewhere or another, God took his hand and shielded Moses from seeing his face. And God said he would pass by and there he would let Moses see his backside. He would still allow Moses to give. Moses wanted to see greater glory. And I'm sorry. Moses wanted to see the full glory of God. God did not permit him to see his full glory having mercy on Moses. Why? Because it would kill him. But God did allow Moses to see even greater glory. And as I pass by on the mountain, I'll let you see my backside. All right, let me stop there. It went a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I knew we would have to spend some time on verse number 19 in dealing with God's sovereign elective grace, okay? I will have what, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. And we are truly grateful to God for being gracious and compassion, compassionate to us because we didn't do right. There was nothing that we did to deserve God's goodness and God's saving grace in our lives. God chose to do this of his own will. And to that, we will be eternally grateful. And we'll understand that even more so when we see our Lord Jesus. All right. Thanks, God, for joining me with all of that. Join me next time as we continue in chapter 34 and we see God in a sense kind of like renewing that covenant with the replacing of the two cabinets, ca <laughs> tablets, and the continu continuation in the journey. All right, guys. See you next time.